Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. In this week's show, we are exploring the fascinating world of femtech, both the positives and the pitfalls. And I think we throw around terms like femtech, assuming everybody knows what that is. So Maria, I think we'll start with the headlines. What is femtech and what's it got to do with fertility? Femtech is abbreviation for female technology. And as you might imagine from that, it's a category of technology and products and services that are specifically designed to address women's health and wellness needs. And what I mean by that is it's not something that was designed for a man and then has kind of been shoved over to women. The starting point for this tech is women's health. And this area is fascinating and it is on the rise and it is massively helping people with their fertility journey. But it's basically digital tech, but with women at the center. And this is rare. When we look at the medical profession, and this is no criticism because they've kept us alive, hale and hearty. (laughs) But most medical devices and treatments were built for men, by men, and they kind of retrofitted them for women. (laughs) And we know that from things like heart attacks, for example. Women also have heart attacks. We, We die of heart attacks, just like our male counterparts, but we're less likely to be diagnosed with having a heart attack when we hit a hospital because we don't manifest the same way as a man. That's a perfect example. Yeah. So the training and the diagnostic tools and the stuff that doctors learn about heart attacks very much. This is a male heart attack. This is what a Mm -hmm. male heart attack looks like. And I know from friends of mine that are doctors that have kind of quipped about the education they get around fertility and women's health in general. And it's like, it's an afternoon, (laughs) you know, it's an (laughs) afternoon seminar. It's probably an elected, so you don't really need to be there. And they kind of just leave that stuff to the gynies. And and when I say leave that stuff, I mean all of that stuff, everything <laughs> to do with the uterus, the ovaries, the vagina, all of that, all of that shunted off to a specialism. And that's fine. But mm-hmm. the problem is for many years, you don't get to see a specialist straight off the bat. Do you? you get to see your GP or your family doctor and they know what they know based on that half an hour seminar. Mm-hmm. And to say that COVID particularly has really ramped up femtech is an understatement. This idea of having medical devices delivered to you via your phone, it's incredible. So we all know what it was like during COVID to download our various apps for, in the UK, it was for the NHS, where you could go and get your vaccinations and your boosters. And that technology grew out of crisis. From that crisis has spawned a whole new way of communicating with all patients, not just women. Mm. But going alongside that, the information gathered by some of the tech companies that we'll talk about 
in terms of women's health is all feeding back into the system. And femtech has been born and will only improve. Completely agree. And I think one of the things that COVID did, exactly what you've just said, it basically completely changed medical health in, in a lot of spaces. But also it made a lot of users who had access to the technology just a lot more comfortable with tech. So, you know, now when you when you meet someone or I have a business meeting, it's just assumed that you kind of do it on Zoom. You know, but five years ago, I didn't know what Zoom was. I didn't know what high teams worked. And it's the same for a lot of this tech. People are now a lot more comfortable using the tech if it fits into their busy lives, if they can have a video call. And we would never have wished COVID on anybody. One of the sides of it has been a massive upskill, I think, from a lot of the general population. And it's definitely helped this femtech space take off. And not only has it upskilled the users, it's upskilled the doctors. Maybe we should give a couple of examples of where femtech get their information from. How are we feeding them that information? And we might be feeding them that information without us even knowing. Oh, yeah. We will get onto this later, actually. Data and the ethics behind this are probably like a whole other show, but we'll come on to that later. Usually the way Femtech is working is it's through things like your menstrual tracking apps, your menstrual cycle tracking apps. We've both talked about Flow on this show before. And what happens is for a lot of these tech products, OvuSense, Aura Rings, all of which we've talked about before, it tracks your your biological data. So it tracks your cycles, it measures your temperature. And you know, a lot of these are now wearable devices. You have got a lot of these on 24-7. Can you imagine the data that has been stored on you 24-7, 365 days a year, because you do not want to miss that ovulation peak? No, you do not. And it will happen when you're not looking, so you do not take it off. When you've got that aura ring on, it's staying on. And what that means is all of that data is feeding into their system. Now, when it comes to fertility, IVF, tracking your ovulation, I am in no way joking about this. This is incredibly serious for people that want to have their baby and their family. They are utilizing your health data and that is invaluable. Really, just from your client's point of view, and obviously you have been around for a while. Thanks, Roisin. (laughs) Can you just do a bit of an analysis between what old IVF treatment and tracking was like versus new IVF treatment and tracking? That's a great question. I think just the idea of tracking, like even before you get to what tracking was like, just the concept of tracking was probably missing. We've talked about this many times, but you're not really taught to track your cycle. So I think even just tracking in the first place would have been missing in the olden days that probably weren't that long ago. So you would have then had this idea of, oh, actually, I work in cycles. Maybe I should start tracking. What used to happen, and a lot of people still do this, is they will they will track with a pencil and paper, and you can still get the, the kind of tracking charts. And if you Google them, you will find them. And you literally record your temperature, and then you kind of join the dots together. And for a lot of people, it was kind of pencil and paper, basic thermometer, track it each month, see what happens. Now you've got um, things like OvuSense, which you wear internally in your vagina, and they monitor all kinds of data like your temperature incredibly accurately as well. So they give very reliable data on whereabouts you are in your cycle. Like I said before, you've got the aura rings. So it's basically gone from what we have to track to, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll do it on a pencil and paper to 
I do it on a digital device and it downloads it for me. But it also is incredibly accurate. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that really is the key, isn't it? There isn't much wiggle room. An old school thermometer, there is a little bit of a really getting that thing up to the light kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And also there's waves of data. You're doing it so often. Mm-hmm. You're writing it into your notebook. And, and then a couple of days later, you're looking back and is that a five or a six? <laughs> you know, that kind of yep humanness that the tracking devices just simply don't have. And do Avicenne and Aura, can they be used to go back to your clinician or is that just for personal use? I'm so glad you asked that. I think data is so, so, so important. And when I was preparing for this show, it was one of the things that was kind of ringing in my head. You've got this idea of what do I use this data for? So you use the data for your own tracking, which has a bit of a wiggly aside, if you like, also then supports your mental health because you feel like you're in control of something. In relation to the question you actually just asked me, I would 100% take it to my clinic because Even if your cycles seem to be completely all over the place and completely irregular, what I would suggest is still track them because when you then go to the doctor and you have this data, that data is still data. It's still valuable and it should be fairly objective data. You're not going to be messing around with your body temperature. It is what it is. Subjective scientific data. Absolutely. I would take it in. I think it's actually a really good hurdle to measure a clinic by. We know that IVF is eye-wateringly expensive. So if I was going in and trying to assess a clinic, and you do that across like many metrics, many Mm -hmm. things that you'll probably want to look at. You'd want to look at their success rate. You would want to have some references. I would be looking at what suite of devices that kind of come as part of my package. Like Mm -hmm. I think I would look at that and say, well, Mm -hmm. do do you provide digital tracking services? Because it's the only way you know that everyone's kind of on the same page with the same information at the same time. Yeah, and the timing is is critical. Again, this kind of tangents off a little bit. It will depend on the type of IVF protocol you're on. It will depend if you're on the short protocol, where they perhaps try and go with your natural cycle. You might be on a longer protocol where they try and override your hormonal system. And the reason I'm saying that is... If they are manipulating, for lack of a better word, but manipulating your hormones, it's going to be very easy for you to lose track of where you are at in your cycle because you're on the pill, you're off the pill. One of my clients actually is in this situation where she was on the pill from the clinic, appropriately so, they were basically trying to get her back to baseline. But when she then comes off the pill, she's not entirely sure where she's at. And it it's really stressful for her. It's really upsetting because, again, it's just another thing she feels not in control of. So regardless of the protocol you're on, regardless of the fertility treatment you're on, you know, I used a lot of data when I was on Clomid because I just wanted to know it worked. And the thing I was saying to people, and this is a very common phrase within the fertility community is, I just need to know that the hormones are working. I just need to know that the Clomid or the Letrozole is working. You're always waiting to find out if something is working. And the data helps you figure out if it's working and it feels like just a little sigh of relief. It's another little hurdle. You're like, okay, the data shows me my temperature has gone up. Phew, okay, this part's probably working. So the data helps you feel a little bit more in control. And even for your client who was put on the pill for for good reason, taking the pill is like learned behavior. You do it because you do it. And because you do it, you do it kind of thing. You Mm. get into a pattern. But I think in the early stages, it's easily missed. Even people that are going through this, mm-hmm. like you're at the end of the day, you go, it's 12 o'clock. 
God, no, I've got the damn pill. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's gone over it's three minutes over 12. Can I take two on the same day? You can go, okay, well, that's the day that happened. Has it had any effect? Get it in front of your clinician. You're going in with full information, you yeah. know, warts and all. hundred percent. You just reminded me actually, when I was taking Clomid, so you're supposed to take it on day two, if I remember correctly, of, of your period. But I would always be in this conundrum every time. My period would always start in the evening. So every cycle I was there Googling, if it starts in the evening, is that day one? When is day two? You know, and, and you have all these questions and it's a genuine question because it was so important to me. I didn't want to mess it up. And also we've talked about this before. You're limited. You don't get endless supplies of Clomid or Letrozole. You certainly don't get endless rounds of IVF. And I know that people going through IVF, they've taken trigger shot at the wrong time or they've done this or they've done that. So yeah, very good advice. If you can get hold of your consultant's contact information so you can ping them a question, please do, even if it just helps calm your anxiety, lower your stress levels, help you feel back in control. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in terms of most of the femtech app-based products that you can get, as Maria said at the top of the show, we both use Flow. We both find mm -hmm. that pretty user-friendly. That will very much tell you where you are in your cycle. But there is a raft of apps out there that can help you with all aspects of your sexual health and well-being. Absolutely. And then even when you are pregnant, a lot of my clients are now pregnant, which is amazing. You know, you can have pregnancy monitoring devices. When you're in labor, you have contraction counting devices and, and all of this type of tech as well. So it can take you the whole way through. It is amazing. So we're pro femtech, but there has been a few little, how would you call it, bumps in the road. <laughs> We're saying this like it was our fault. It wasn't us. <laughs> this, this has nothing to do with me. I would just like to get that clear. Wasn't me, wasn't Roisin. <laughs> this has absolutely got nothing to do with us. There has been stories recently about home testing. And in-home testing kits in general are great. They're fantastic and they're a game changer. They mean that we can short circuit our doctors and the queues and the waiting lists and all that kind of thing and go straight to labs. Now, obviously, sometimes this uses errors and therefore you don't get great information, but sometimes there's errors within the labs. And that's what has occurred in the UK recently. When I was researching for this, I actually came across more of these stories than I was anticipating, to be honest. One of these stories that I came across that was reported in The Guardian there were issues with home menopause tests. So for any of our listeners that are perhaps perimenopause or a bit further in, they were having issues with shop-bought menopause tests that were using urine samples and they were basically giving faulty data because they were just saying the urine samples weren't good enough to detect something as complicated as the menopause. And then the other one that I came across, which is more relevant for anyone going through the fertility treatment, IVF, who like we've just said, want to track everything, you can buy finger prick tests. And it sounds amazing to measure your estrogen levels. And as we've talked about on our kind of hormone series, estrogen is one of your key players in fertility. So you would buy your finger prick test, but it's transpired that the company who are processing that data and then giving you your results, it's transpired that actually the data from that company was not always accurate. So people were buying the test, doing the finger prick test, sending away their information and getting these results back that actually might not have been correct. On the surface, this may not sound like a big deal, but it's massive because people were trying to track their estrogen levels. Estrogen is key for fertility. You need to know where your estrogen's at. 
And the frustration and the upsetting thing when I was reading this information, which by the way, I got from the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, it was a press release updated August, 2023. So very recent, very relevant. What they were saying was they'd known about these issues since around 2021. So for a couple of years, they've been aware that there were potentially issues in the in the results that they were giving to people about their estrogen levels. And this is huge. It might have the more I think about it, the more angry I get. You can mm-hmm. probably hear it in my voice, but that could have really thrown someone's fertility journey off. It could have really messed with their IVF. Even if it was the doctor saying, hang on, this doesn't look right. We need to get another test. That's time. What if that then caused you to miss your next cycle? What if that interfered with your stims? So yeah, the more I think about it and the more I read about it, the more angry I got on behalf of anyone that that might have affected I'm kind of hoping if it did affect someone, and I mean this in a nice way, I'm hoping they just didn't notice. I'm hoping it's one of those things that ended up being okay in the end, but it will 100% have affected some people's fertility journeys for sure. We'll definitely put a link to the article in the show notes so you can have a read of it for yourselves just in case you may have been affected. I, like you, I'm appalled that it took two years because that's two years of someone's journey and we know the time is precious. The other thing is, it's a really good reminder that we've come far within femtech, but it's still burgeoning. It's still new. It's still being tested, and we can't wholly rely on it as the full picture. It's just one data point. If it happened to me and I got my test results back and I said this, yeah, I have really high estrogen, and then my next protocol would be to go to my doctor. Sometimes it does require a second pair of eyes over it. The tech is still brand new. And it reminds us, and it's something I was thinking about, I'm very much in support of tech, very much in support of femtech, but you still need humans. You need the humans to look over the data, like you've just said, and actually say, well, hang on a minute, your levels shouldn't be this high at this stage of your cycle. But you also need humans that you can speak to about those results. And this is where your community comes in. And we've talked before about the importance of the trying to conceive community, the fertility community, and how your best friend might be your best friend. But if they haven't been through infertility, it's very difficult for them to understand. So full support of Femtech. But you also need humans in your life to talk everything through with, also for your emotional health. Because I remember when I was with very low tech, things like OPKs, I was so stressed when I wasn't getting the positive on the OPK. I didn't have the mental capacity to keep that to myself. I needed to speak to people. So I'd go on Instagram, but I would go on the community and I'd speak to people. So yes, I had very basic tech, but I still needed people and I still needed the community just to say, what is this? What's going on? Should this be like this? And ultimately for hope and reassurance. And that's why humans are still invaluable. The day that I felt very strange when I had this sort of internal voice saying, you are pregnant, true story. I'm driving, I'm minding my business. And I just had this (laughs) from the back (laughs) of my head, subconscious. You are pregnant. And then I had an argument with myself in my car. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That day when I went to the chemist and bought an OPK, the pregnancy test and (laughs) tampons, all in in one purchase. Uh, And I just remembered the girl behind the counter just like looking at me like, like, this girl is clearly very confused as to what's happening right now. You know, a Mm catch-all purchase. Mm-hmm. All uh, possible. All possibilities. But you're absolutely right. Even when I got the pregnancy test and it came up as positive, and I completely understand that a lot of people that listen to this show haven't had that yet. And believe me, we're rooting for you. We really are. I still had to buy another one to double check. 
Yeah. It's sometimes good just to get that second wave of information in. And I think this is a cautionary tale, what's happened in the UK. It's a cautionary tale that, yeah, 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 we are far, far, far down the road of where we were, but we're certainly not there yet. So absolutely self-advocacy is the key. And the data should help with that. And it just gives you a little bit more power because ultimately knowledge is power. And hopefully you're in with a great clinic, great doctors, and it goes as well as it can go. But unfortunately, we know that there are times where the clinics or the doctors aren't as vested as we would perhaps like. Knowledge is power and you do get a lot of knowledge from the tech. Yeah, and certainly ask them what digital trackers they use, they recommend, what digital support they can give you in the home. If there's any testing or home testing to be done, ask for full demonstrations and always, always go and check your home or quit your doctor. When we're talking about self-advocacy, I listened to a podcast that Maria recommended that was amazing. It's called The Retrieval. I will give you a trigger warning. It's not the easiest podcast in the world to listen to. It's a series. It came out of the US about women that were going through egg retrieval through Yale Facility Center. And we don't give away the whole story because I absolutely think that you should listen to it. But what I took from that and what happened to those women was it is so important. So, 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 so important (laughs) to hold your ground. If something isn't right, I don't care what clinic it is. It could be the best clinic in the world. If something doesn't feel right, if it doesn't look right, get off the bed. (laughs) Just sit Mm -hmm. down and say, I think we need to have a chat about this. Is Mm -hmm. this normal? What you said right at the beginning of our show today, Roisin, is going with your gut and trying to make people listen to you. Yeah. The age old story of being a woman, I think, for a lot of people. But yeah, go with your gut and if you can self-advocate. And considering that Maria as a BT that works in the area of fertility, but also specializing in IVF training, you know cycles. That's one thing. Mm. That's one thing you know a lot about. <laughs> I know cycles. cycles. Yeah. If you have any questions, I don't know, I'm ovulated on day 39. What does that mean? Or I can't quite work out when the hell I'm ovulating. Whatever the question may be, just get in touch because I guarantee you, Marie will get you the answer to that question. Yeah, Roisin and I have both been lucky enough to have so many amazing guests on the pod now that if I don't know the answer, I will know someone that does. And I will put you in touch with them if I can't help you directly. And on that note, actually, a couple of shows ago, you might remember we were talking about testosterone and levels of testosterone and if your testosterone is too high. And I referenced the woman who'd sent in the question about testosterone and she's since been back in touch. So she listened to the pod, she got back in touch. If you have questions, send them in and I'll get back to you. I'll put Maria's contact details in the show notes. And if you do go and listen to the retrieval, get in touch, let me know what you think. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing piece of podcasting. It has to be listened to, to be believed. It stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah. It reinforces the story that we are slightly hysterical and emotional, but when we're not, again, go in with all of your research, go in with your tracking, get yourself nice and comfortable and hold your space. Hold your space. That's the one. And talking about space, who will be occupying this space <laughs> this time next Friday? Roshi, can I just say I love that? That that was not planned that and was that good was link. smooth. Roshi, you're on fire. <laughs> 
Love that. In next week's show, we will be sharing with you our interview with Sophie Soleria. She has been a fertility patient herself, but she is also director of content for The Fertility Show. And it's a fantastic interview about her story. And to be honest with you, how she got through some really, really tough times. So she gives fantastic advice. It is a must listen. Make sure to tune in next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment, and really importantly, share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend that you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.